Welcome to Barry Pirro's Haunted Happenings Podcast, where I share in-depth stories of the paranormal, the supernatural, and the unexplained. So turn off your lights, sit back, and prepare to be scared. The first thing I noticed about the house was the peeling paint. It had once been white, or so it seemed. Now it was more of a yellow-gray. It looked as if its first paint job had been its last, and that would have been about a hundred years ago. But rather than spoiling the look of the place, the crackled surface of the crumbling shingles gave the house an air of stoic dignity, as if it was proud of its wrinkles. The outward signs of age seem to say, I've weathered many storms, both outside and in. Treat me with respect. The three wooden steps that led up from the weed-choked walkway to the wide front porch were splintered and sagging, and the center of each was worn down thin. How many feet have walked up these steps, I wondered. What were the stories of all the people who climbed them? And what did the house see in all those years? Celebrations, holidays, and joys for sure. But sadness, sorrow, and mourning as well. Love, loss, the energy of youth, and the slow decline of old age all rolled up into one big ball of life. The front door was open, so I walked in. A staircase rose up in front of me, and to the left was a hallway that led to the kitchen. I could see a white enamel sink filled with dishes, pots, and pans, with a window above it through which I could see to the backyard, where a girl in a white dress sat on a tire swing, spinning in lazy circles. A small white dog barked and snapped at her heels as she spun around and around, looking up at the sky, yellow and orange leaves falling all around her. A woman was sitting at the kitchen table, smoking a cigarette and talking on the phone. I know, I know, she said. Well, it's not like I slept at all last night. The wind kept me up and the pipes froze. There's water all over the basement. I'll call the doctor in the morning. I turned left and walked into the living room. Hundreds of books lay strewn about on the floor, all looking as if they had been thrown there. The spines of some were broken, and stray pages blew across the floor, stirred by the breeze that came through a broken window above the fireplace mantel. I made no effort to step around these books. Instead, my bare feet sought out those that were lying flat, and I walked on them, as if I was making my way across a brook, stepping gingerly from one to another to another to avoid getting wet. As I neared the end of my journey across the room, an open book caught my attention. It was a children's book. I didn't bend down to read it, but instead turned the pages with my toe. Colorful illustrations of a young boy holding a large sword moved across the page like a movie. He seemed to be protecting a smaller boy who huddled behind him, clinging to his waist. As I was about to turn to the next page, a voice called out to me. 
Would you give me a hand with this box? A man stood in the doorway, wearing a white shirt and black pants held up by red suspenders. He was middle-aged, and his wiry, graying hair stood up wildly around his head as if he had just gotten out of bed. I do it myself, but it's a little too heavy for me. It's just over here, he said with a smile, gesturing with his head and walking away. I walked into the room, but the man was gone. The floor of this room was tilted slightly to one side, and the center sagged. I got the sense that if I walked in the middle of the room, I would fall through to the basement below. I crept slowly along the very edge of the room, and looking down, I noticed that there were shards of broken glass everywhere. I didn't want to cut my feet, so I carefully pushed the pieces of glass out of the way with one toe before taking each step. Then... I heard the sound. It was a distant rumble at first, like the reverberations and rhythmic pulsing bass notes you would hear at a concert. I felt the vibrations through my feet long before I heard the sound itself. As it grew louder and louder, the sagging boards in the center of the room began to vibrate, and the shards of glass that littered the floor rattled and danced. A light was coming from underneath the floorboards, it shone through the cracks, growing brighter and brighter by the second, until thin beams of brilliant white light shot up to the blistered, crumbling ceiling. It made the thousands of shards of glass sparkle like diamonds, and for some reason seeing this light filled me with intense fear. I stood frozen in place, my hands pressed tightly against the wall as the floorboards in the center of the room sagged deeper and deeper, then began breaking. By now, the sound was deafening, and a strong wind blew up from the ever-widening, gaping hole in the floor. Slivers of sharp glass swirled around and around the room like a glittering cyclone. They blew against my face and arms and stung like needles, and I put my head down to keep glass from getting into my eyes. The floorboards continued to collapse from the center of the room outward until the few boards that I stood on were the only thing that remained. The light from below was blinding, and the relentless sound was so thunderous and deafening that I needed to cover my ears, but I couldn't, because I had to keep my hands pressed against the wall to keep myself from falling. I looked down at the few remaining boards that I stood on. The flying glass had torn my feet to shreds, and they were covered in blood. The tiny ledge I stood on was slick with my blood, and it soon began to rot and crumble. When it finally gave way, I screamed in terror and slid down the sloping wall as if I was on a huge children's slide. I reached my arms up, trying desperately to grab onto something, but my hands only clutched the air. Above me, I could see the edges of the room and the ceiling above as I continued sliding down, down, down towards the open pit of blinding light and deafening sound. I tried to stop my descent by pressing my hands and feet down, but the surface of the steep, sloping wall was as slick as ice. As I slid off the wall into the hideous, deafening whiteness of the vast chasm, the last thing I saw as I looked up was someone peering over the edge. It was the man with the red suspenders. He looked down at me, smiled and waved, then turned away.
We all have bad dreams from time to time, but nightmares are a type of dream that are in a category all their own. They're terrifying dreams that trigger a strong emotional response from the mind, typically fear, but also despair, anxiety, or extreme sadness. Nightmares may also contain situations of psychological or physical terror and panic. People generally sleep through a bad dream, but when they have a nightmare, they awaken in a state of terror or extreme distress, and the dream stays with them long after they wake. The word nightmare is derived from the Old English word mare, but in this case we're not talking about a horse. In Germanic and Slavic folklore, a mare is a hideous creature that sits on people's chests while they sleep, causing them to have horrific dreams. In Germany, people were so afraid of the mare that they used to recite a charm before going to sleep in order to keep this terrifying creature from invading their dreams. One version of the charm reads, Here I am lying down to sleep. No mare of night shall plague me until they have swam through all the waters that flow upon the earth, and counted all the stars that appear in the sky. In Polish folklore, the mare is known as the Mara. Rather than being a paranormal entity, it's the soul of a living person that leaves their body at night, and it appears in the guise of a moth or as gossamer thin wisps of hair or spider webs. In Czech folklore, the Mara is known as the Night Butterfly, a large, moth-like creature that lands on unsuspecting sleepers, causing them to have nightmares. Russian legends paint the Mara as an invisible spirit who sometimes has the ability to show herself in the form of a woman with long, flowing hair. In other traditions, the Mara is a succubus-like creature who seduces men in their dreams then has sex with them. But as pleasurable as the experience may be for the dreamer, this demonic sexual encounter ultimately leads to their death. In Serbian folklore, the Mara is a spirit who slips quietly through a keyhole at night, then strangles you while you sleep. The Mara is synonymous with another folk tradition known as the Night Hag or Old Hag a creature associated with sleep paralysis. During sleep paralysis, a person wakes in the middle of the night totally immobilized. They can see and hear perfectly, but they are unable to move even the slightest bit. Accompanying the paralysis is a feeling that a malevolent being is sitting on their chests or lurking at the foot of their bed. Traditional tales about mares, night hags, and the terrifying experience of nightmares and sleep paralysis can be found in almost every culture. In Scandinavian folklore, the mare is a cursed woman whose body is mysteriously transported while she's asleep. In this trance-like state, she visits people in her village at night and sits on their ribcages, causing them to have nightmares. In Fiji, sleep paralysis is referred to as kana tavoro, which roughly translates as being eaten by a demon. Although it's called a demon, it's actually the ghost of a recently dead relative who has returned because of some unfinished business or to communicate important news to the living. The person who finds themselves in this paralyzed state can chase away the spirit simply by telling them to go away or by cursing at them. 
In Turkish folklore, sleep paralysis and nightmares are attributed to a visitation by a supernatural being known as a jinn. The jinn are said to be created by God from fire before the creation of mankind. This invisible creature comes to the victim's room at night, immobilizes them by holding them down, then starts to strangle them. It's said that to get rid of the jinn, one needs to pray to Allah by reading special passages from the Quran. In some versions of the story, the jinn wears a wide hat during these visitations. If the person is courageous enough to take its hat, the jinn will become his slave. Interestingly, these hat-wearing jinns are very similar to people's description of shadow people. Now, a shadow person is a solid black figure that often appears at night, and it's accompanied by a feeling of dread. Many shadow people are described as wearing hats, so the dark specter is sometimes referred to as the hat man. Descriptions of shadowy, human-like figures who show up at night have appeared in folklore traditions across cultures. One example comes from the Native American Choctaw tribe's mythology, which tells of a being known as the Nalusa Chito. This shadowy creature is so feared that many will not even utter its name for fear that doing so will summon the spirit. And there's good reason to be afraid of this dark nocturnal visitor. The Nalusa Chito not only appears in the night as a solid black figure looming over the beds of its victims, it also eats their souls if they allow evil thoughts or depression to enter their minds. While most of us try to forget our bad dreams, many authors have used their nightmares as material for their writings. Stephen King used a childhood nightmare as the inspiration for his first book, Salem's Lot. He said, It was a dream where I came up a hill and there was a gallows on top of this hill with birds all flying around it. There was a hanged man there. He had died not by having his neck broken, but by strangulation. I could tell because his face was all puffy and purple. As I came close to him, he opened his eyes, reached his hands out, and grabbed me. Another example of a nightmare used as the inspiration for a literary work comes from Mary Shelley, who attributed her inspiration for the novel Frankenstein to a particularly gruesome nightmare. In the book's preface, she wrote, I saw the pale student of the unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out. And then, on the working of some powerful engine, it showed signs of life and stirred with an uneasy, half-vital motion. In the fall of 1885, Robert Louis Stevenson was a very sick man. The author of Treasure Island had suffered from poor health ever since he was a child, but this most recent battle with a severe bronchial ailment left him barely able to leave his home. One night, he had a terrifying dream. He cried out in his sleep and tossed and turned so much that his wife woke him up. But instead of being grateful to be rescued from this terrible nightmare, he scolded her, saying, Why did you wake me? I was dreaming a fine bogey tale. 
Immediately upon waking, he already had three scenes sketched out for a new book. That book would eventually become the classic horror novel, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Psychologists have always been fascinated by dreams and nightmares. Famed psychoanalyst Carl Jung theorized that dreams are a glimpse into the unconscious mind and that nightmares are symbolic manifestations of something he called the shadow. Jung said that everyone has two types of shadows. The personal shadow is made up of repressed experiences from childhood which we deem unacceptable due to conditioning by adults. These experiences include fantasies, desires, sadness, and sexual curiosity. The collective shadow contains all of the terrors and struggles that humans have faced since their primal beginnings, as well as our primitive instincts associated with survival, such as sexual desire. According to Jung, nightmares are a reflection of things we unconsciously struggle to accept about ourselves aspects of our shadow self. By facing our nightmares head-on, we can begin to embrace these repressed feelings and desires so they'll have less of a detrimental effect on our emotional lives. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could actually control our dreams, to change our nightmares into ones that aren't scary at all? Well, believe it or not, some people can do just that. It's called lucid dreaming. During a lucid dream, the dreamer becomes aware that they're dreaming, and they gain control over the dream's characters, narrative, or environment. The idea of lucid dreaming has been around for ages. In 350 BC, Aristotle wrote his treatise On Dreams. In it, he said that one can sometimes be aware while dreaming that one is dreaming. The ancient Egyptians believed that everyone had the ability to lucid dream. They thought that a person's soul left their body at night and that dreams were symbolic of the soul's travels. And since the creator of the dream is our own soul, we can shape our dreams any way we want at will. The Egyptians even built special temples where people would sleep in order to attain this lucid dreaming state. Lucid dreamers are often able to nullify even the most horrific nightmares. I've had this experience myself. I once had a nightmare that I was walking up a staircase in a strange house. As I climbed the stairs, I became more and more uneasy, then terrified, but I didn't know why. When I got to the top of the stairs, standing there blocking my way was a black, featureless figure. I suddenly became aware that this was just a dream, but I didn't wake up. Instead, I walked up to the figure and said, You're not real. Then I defiantly poked it with one finger, and it vanished before my eyes. I laughed at myself for having created such a creature in my own dream, then finished climbing the stairs. Dreams of the death of loved ones, natural disasters, or violence and murder are common nightmare themes. But apart from the terror and strong emotions that such dreams leave in their wake, there is another thing we fear when we have a nightmare, that it might come true. 
Unfortunately, some nightmares actually do. Precognitive dreams are those that predict a negative event such as a natural or man-made disaster or the death of a loved one. Such dreams may be a type of warning signal left over from the time of our primitive ancestors. Back then, dreaming of wild animal attacks, sudden severe weather, or war with a neighboring tribe served as a way to prepare for these events. Some believe that the ability to see into the future through our dreams lies dormant in modern man, only surfacing when a particularly horrific or personal tragedy is about to occur. Many people have reported having dreams or nightmares that actually came true. One example comes from a man considered by many to be the greatest American writer of all time, Mark Twain. Twain's given name was Samuel Clemens, and before he became a writer, he was a riverboat pilot in Mississippi. In 1858, Sam and his younger brother Henry were working together on a boat named the Pennsylvania. Sam was an apprentice pilot, and Henry was given room and board on the boat in return for doing odd jobs at the various places it would dock. One night, Sam had a terrible dream in which he saw his brother Henry lying dead in a coffin. It wasn't a typical wooden casket, but one made of metal. Henry was wearing a suit that belonged to Sam, and on his chest was a huge bouquet of white roses with a single red rose at the center. Sam woke up in horror, convinced that his brother's body actually was laid out in the next room. He tried to convince himself that the dream was not real, and he ended up walking around outside for hours to try to erase this horrific nightmare from his mind. The dream haunted Sam for days, and he related the details of it to various family members. They brushed it off as being just a bad dream and told him to forget about it. Sam agreed to try to put the dream out of his mind, but the memory of it continued to hang over him. The pilot of the Pennsylvania, William Brown, had a violent temper, and during a voyage downriver, Sam got into a full-blown fight with him. This led to Sam being transferred to another boat while Henry remained on the Pennsylvania. The following day, the Pennsylvania's boiler exploded and the ship caught fire. Henry was badly burned in the disaster. He survived for a short time, but died at a hospital in Memphis a few days later. Although his body was badly burned, his handsome face was untouched. The female volunteers who were helping to tend to the victims of the tragedy were so struck by his beauty that they gave him the best coffin available. When Sam entered the room where his brother was laid out, he was stricken with horror as the exact details of his dream played out before his eyes. His dead brother was lying in a metal casket, wearing the same borrowed suit he had seen in his dream. The only thing missing from the scene was the floral bouquet. But as Sam sat in the room mourning the loss of his brother, a woman came in with a bouquet of white roses. She laid it on Henry's chest. The white bouquet had a single red rose in the center. For the rest of his life, Mark Twain would tell the story of how he dreamed of his brother's death.
The experience affected him so much that he was one of the first to join the Society for Psychical Research in the hope that he might better understand how precognitive dreams worked. But he could never escape the thought that he might have been able to prevent his brother's death had he warned him after having that terrible nightmare. By far, the most frightening type of nightmare is one that, thankfully, few ever experience. These are the nightmares that are caused by demons and other dark entities. There are four stages to demonic possession. Infestation, oppression, obsession, and finally, possession. During the oppression stage, those who are being attacked by a demon almost always experience horrific, perverse, and violent nightmares. As a paranormal investigator, I've had first-hand encounters with people who were in various stages of possession. One case in particular stands out in my mind because of the terrible nightmares that accompanied the demonic infestation. The case involved two sisters. Out of respect for their privacy, I'll refer to them as Melanie and Beth. Both were intelligent, professional women in their fifties. One was a psychologist, the other a nurse. They lived together in a large apartment in upstate New York and never experienced anything unusual until one night Melanie had a terrifying dream of a black hooded figure standing over her bed. When she woke up, the figure was actually in the room with her standing right next to her bed. After about 20 seconds, this mysterious dark figure faded away. The next morning, Beth came down to breakfast, but before Melanie had a chance to tell of her strange dream, Beth started talking about the nightmare that she had had that night. The dream she told was the exact same dream that Melanie had, right down to the black figure appearing in the room. Night after night, the sisters had horrifying nightmares, and the dreams became more violent and perverse. Some involved dead bodies that were horribly mutilated or riddled with bullets lying on the floor of their rooms or sitting in chairs. Others centered around visitations by grotesque creatures that seemed to be made up of a conglomerate of different animals. One had the trunk of an elephant and a mouth full of sharp teeth. Each time the sisters would have a dream, the creatures in the dream would appear in the room with them upon awakening. And every morning, the sisters would compare notes only to find that they always had the exact same dreams. I've never met a nightmare I didn't love. Whether it's an insane, knife-wielding nun chasing me through a cornfield, or the bloated, rotting corpse of Mickey Rooney emerging from my closet holding a dozen helium balloons, the truth is, I love them all. Of course, like everyone else in the world, I'm initially afraid when I wake up from these little nocturnal insanities. But the truth is, they're mine, my creation, the children of my psyche. The way that I look at nightmares is that they're calling to me, begging me to understand them, or at least to try. Because it's only after we come to terms with the fiends that haunt us at night that we'll someday find ourselves holding hands with them, 
laughing about some long-forgotten joke and saying to one another, you know, you're not so bad after all. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow me and leave a comment. To contact me, use the email address listed in the program notes. I'm Barry Pirro, and this is Haunted Happenings. Thank you.